listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Those of you who've been around and have been walking with us through the book of Luke, you'll remember the last several weeks we've been in Luke 8 where Jesus has gone beyond performing uh, miracles. And, and there's, no, there's no such thing as a minor miracle, okay? There's, there's no such thing as that. But, but the things that Jesus had been doing was on a, a, more small, a smaller scale. And then you get to chapter number 8, and he does some really big things. And, and we believe that what Luke is doing, along with Matthew and Mark, as they recorded the events of the life of Christ, we believe what they were doing was they were, they were showing a picture of the, of the divinity of our Lord. We believe that what they were attempting to show the readers was, was something that was still a mystery to those that were actually watching at the time of these events. We see Jesus uh, not only uh, doing a miracle in front of a crowd, but we see him with his disciples calming a storm that had been raging on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus stands up and says, hey, be quiet. And nature bent to the will of Jesus. Who who can speak to nature and it just do what he says? Well, the Creator can cause the creation to bend to his will. So the God-man spoke to nature and, and it obeyed immediately. And then we see him getting off the boat and being approached by a, a man that, that Luke says was, was filled with demons. When Jesus asked the demon's name, he responded, My name is Legion, for we are many. And, and this man had been tormented for, for possibly years, at least for a, a good portion of his life, because they had tried to hold him down and, and, and keep him secure, and he would break whatever chains and bonds that they put on him. He ran around naked, and he lived in the tombs. This man was tormented completely by many demons. And at the word of Jesus... They had to exit. When Jesus said to leave, they had to obey. Who is this that commands the evil spirits and they must do what he says? The God-man, the Son of God, God the Son can speak and the evil forces in this world must obey. And then we see Jesus coming back across the water and, and, he, and he gets out of the boat and, and all of a sudden he's, he's approached by an emergency situation. A, a ruler in the synagogue has an only daughter who's on the verge of death and he begs Jesus to come and to heal his only daughter. And so on the way, they're, they're going, I'm, I'm sure as quickly as they can, and on the way there's an encounter with someone in the crowd who's been hidden and been plagued by, a, by an issue of blood for for 12 years of her life, she's suffered. She's been in agony and embarrassment. And, and she's been unable to worship because of her ceremonial uncleanliness. And so she's just hoping that she can not get an audience with Jesus, but just reach out. She said in the book of Mark, if I can just get close enough to him just to touch the hem of his garment, I believe that I'll be healed. And that's what she did in this crowd. She worked her way through, reached out and touched Jesus just the edge of his cloak and the scripture says immediately she was healed 
Who is it that, 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 can, that can just by his presence, just by, by, by mere power residing in him, who is it that can heal this woman of this great infirmity and not be considered unclean by her touch, but cause her to be clean? None other than the Savior. None other than the righteous one, the God-man, God the Son, and he heals this woman. And, and, and while he's taking a minute to celebrate her faith, we get the news in chapter 8 that, Sir, it's, it's no longer necessary to trouble the master because your daughter, well, she's no longer sick. She's gone. No need to, to trouble the master anymore. Jesus looks the man in the eye and he goes, Hold on. I, I know you want to give up, but don't fear. Only believe. And your daughter will be well. And, and I can't imagine what this father must have wrestled with in that moment. But, but okay, Jesus, I, I'll trust you. I don't get it, but, but what do I have to lose? And on to the house they went, into the room they found themselves. Jesus, Peter, James, John, Mom, and Dad. And the God-man reaches down to her. When, when anyone else who would have touched that body where, where life was gone would have been considered unclean ceremonially by the law, the God-man reached and his touched And his word caused her spirit to return. And he says, child, arise. And immediately she sits up. Who can do this? None other than the God-man who has authority and power over nature, over demons, over disease, over death. Do you see the picture Luke's painting? We get to chapter 9. And it says, And he called the twelve together... And gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. Wherever they do not receive you. When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. How many of you have ever trained a child how to drive an automobile? Anybody ever? Okay. How nerve-wracking is that when they get that permit? And they get behind the wheel, and if you're wise, you will take them somewhere away from other vehicles, away from other like very solid rooted objects like trees and buildings and mailboxes, and you'll give them the opportunity to just get the feel of the wheel. The last thing you would do is to hand a 15-year-old who's never had any experience behind the wheel, the last thing you would do would be hand them the keys and give them some overall instructions and then say, go get her done. You would never do that, would you? No, because they're not prepared. You know, sometimes you need to give 
some instruction. They need to have some time to work into it. And sometimes maybe a year's not even long enough for the 16-year-old. And you're like, let's go around the block a few more times before we send you to the grocery store. Because, you know, some things just aren't conducive to just giving them the keys. I, I find it interesting how many vocations end up having what's called on-the-job training. I, I found out that, that in a lot of cases, maybe this is not always the case, but, but I was going to a dentist who had the hygienist that would do the, the cleaning, and I discovered that a lot of what they do is on-the-job training. You know, because they're sitting there, and, and, and they've got someone beside them, and they're telling them what to do, and I'm thinking, I, 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 di- I didn't know that this was going to be the case. I didn't know that you were going to be experimenting on me at the student level. I, I didn't realize that. I probably would have maybe gone elsewhere. But doctors, what do they call even their work once they've finished all their education? What do doctors do? They They practice. That doesn't sound very encouraging that they're practicing. I want them to be professionaling on me, okay? I want them to be, you know, uh, excelling on me, not practicing. But we realize that there's on-the-job training. And, and we also know that while we might not hand our kids the keys, there are some times that there are arenas where the kids just want to hang in the nest and hold on to the nest And live in the nest, and what do we end up sometimes as parents having to do? We have to rear back and kick them out of the nest, so to speak. We have to say, no, 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 you've got to learn from experience. You've got to get out there and and learn along the way. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. The disciples have seen, they, 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 they've answered his call. He's, he's gone to some really bizarre individuals and put together this group of 12 out of folks that we probably would have never chosen. Would have figured these are not the kind of folks that you want in your entourage, Jesus. Surely there are folks better at being what you need them to be as your just right-hand uh, uh, personnel, your, your closest of, of disciples. Surely you've got some better choices. But he chose this this motley group of people from all kinds of different bizarre realms. And now they've watched him. They've listened to him. They've seen the reaction of the crowd. They've been with him when he's done some miracles. They've watched firsthand as he's just displayed the power and authority. Who in the world could this be? They're beginning to realize he's something much more than a prophet. He's something much more than just a mere man. There's something more to him. They're discovering. And then Jesus turns to them and says, basically, okay, you've been paying attention. You've been watching what I've been doing. All right, gather around. I'm about to push you out of the nest. I see four things that he did here. I see that he called the ones he wanted. I see that he gave what was his. I see that he sent on purpose and he said how he wanted it done. Missions 101. Let's just take a look at what Jesus did. He called who he wanted. He called the 12 together. He picked the ones who was going to go for me. He didn't look out amongst the crowd. You know, as folks were gathering along and, and, and the crowds were getting bigger and bigger, certainly more folks with better credentials were now forming in this crowd. Certainly there were some very well-known community individuals whom he could have chosen. But he looked at those original 12 and he goes, you guys, come here. 
Come here, gather around. You're the ones that I want representing me. I want you not to just follow me, but I'm about to send you on my mission. I'm calling the ones that I want. You realize how much of a disservice those of us who know Jesus as Savior? We do a grave disservice. It's, actually, it should be a stronger word than that. It, it, it's a, it's a, a, a grave heresy when we present Jesus to people as just someone to respond to in order to get into an eternal destination. But don't we do that a lot? We present Jesus and we show them the eternal options. We say, you're, you're either going to die and go to hell or you're going to die and go to heaven. Which would you rather have? Come on. If I'm going to offer you a piece of watermelon or a slap in the mouth, which one will you choose? You might not even like watermelon, but you know you don't want the slap in the mouth. What a grave heresy, however, to present following Jesus as a matter of of an eternal choice, and that's it. But so often, especially in this free freedom that we enjoy, the luxury that we enjoy, and folks don't have a a felt need for much, we try to show them the two worst-case scenarios and ask them to choose, and then that's it. That's not following Christ at all. To trust Jesus is not about saying a prayer in order to punch your eternal ticket. Following Jesus is about recognizing what and who you are, what and who he is, what's been done for you, and then embracing not only the Savior, but embracing his mission. It's it's not just saying, hey, I like, I'm a fan of Jesus, I'll buy the t-shirt, I'll go to the concert, I'll follow him on, on the, the social media, I'll do, I'll do all of that stuff because I'm just the world's biggest fan of Jesus. He's not looking for fans. There are a lot of fans in the crowd. What Jesus is looking for is followers, and Jesus is always on the move, and that means we're always to be actively following and just let that sink into your mind for a second. Are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of him? Are you, are you someone that will get excited about what he's doing? Or are you someone who's looking for a role for him to give you? Because that's the difference between being a fan and being a follower. These guys have been called... And now Jesus is inviting them to follow him. Even the one who ultimately will betray him. You say, what's going on with him? I don't know. But I do know he's calling them to do. And he's about to send. He's calling who he wants. He called these 12. And then he gives what's his. What did they just watch him do? They watched him exercise power and authority over nature, demons, disease, and death. Now, what does Luke say? And he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Interesting that he leaves out the other two, except... In the book of uh, Matthew, chapter number, uh, chapter number 10, verse number 8, Matthew records that Jesus even gave them authority to raise the dead. 
Now that causes me a little bit of, you know, I, I get a little bit nervous finding that out. I don't think he's calling them to go to the graveyard and start speaking to folks being dug up or, or roll a stone away after they've been gone for a long time. But I think this has to do with those that may be sick and may have recently died and have not yet been buried. I think Jesus has given them, according to Matthew, the authority to even speak to them and raise the dead. What does he do? He's giving them power, spiritual ability. He's giving them the ability to do something that they could not do on their own. They have no power over demons. Demons in the angelic world, we see all throughout the scripture, they've got way more power than we do. One angel in the Old Testament destroyed over 200,000 of, of Israel's enemies. Like in one sweep, those are some powerful, powerful beings. But Jesus gives them power and authority, gives them spiritual ability that is his, and he gives them authority, the right to exercise that power. And he gives it to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead. Why does he do this? Why, why is it that he's giving them this power and authority that doesn't belong to them? It belongs to him, but he's giving it to them to exercise. Why? So that when they do what he's about to tell them to do, it's going to authenticate what they're saying. Anybody can say or do anything, but when you have the power and the authority of the supernatural, especially in this time, you look at that situation and you go, okay, these guys are, are authentic in what they're saying. Jesus also wanted them to represent his compassion. Of course, he healed people uh, as, a, as a demonstration of who he claimed to be in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and things that were being to, to the Israelites were to be looking for as it applied to Messiah. But when Jesus Jesus healed that woman. You know what was at the front of the, of the list in his mind? His compassion on her. Yes, it was an act that was demonstrating who he was, but it was also fueled by real compassion. You say, well, Jesus left a lot of people sick. I know. And you know what I think? I think it broke his heart. I mean, while Jesus was here and all of the suffering that he exercised or saw exercised in the world while he was here and everywhere he went, he saw pain and suffering and, and agony. And I think his heart broke a few he temporarily addressed. I think his, his heart was broken for all of the suffering, even for the ones that he healed, knowing that future suffering was to come. But his focus was on the cross. His focus was on the, the, the salvation that was to be given to those who would by faith follow him. Knowing that through his stripes, a resurrected healing would be ours. The likes of which no temporary healing would ever be compared. But I think Jesus' heart broke. And I think as he gave them the power, it wasn't... How many of you seen those movies, the Bruce Almighty and the... Uh, what was the other one? Who, who I forget what his name was. But anyway, it was the other guy. And, and, and what did they do? God gives them his power because they're mad at God because God's not doing things their way. And God's like, okay, let's see how good you do. When it first came out, I thought, man, how irrever irreverent, how like sacrilegious, till I watched it. And while there's some content stuff that didn't need to be there, the point was pretty straightforward. 
You know, we think God's, you know, could just, yeah, wave his hand. If you really love me, you do. There's a whole lot more going on. I don't think Jesus gave them authority to mess with demons. I don't think Jesus gave them authority to, you know, go out and swing their arms around and alakazam. I don't think that's what he was doing. He was giving them his power. Now look, I want you to represent me and I'm endowing you with some of my power. I'm giving you the authority of my name to use that power. He's giving, he's giving them what was his to authenticate their message and to extend comparison. Not only that, he sent them on purpose. Verse number two, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. When we start talking about the kingdom of God, it can get a little bit confusing if we have a a wrong idea about what the kingdom of God is. I think we have a wrong view of the kingdom of God if we think about it as only a future kingdom where Jesus is physically and actually reigning, visible for all to see, where everyone is doing what he says and anyone who's opposed to him is put down. I think that's a wrong vision of the kingdom of God. I think the kingdom of God is is all-inclusive of the people of God who by faith begin to follow their king even when he's not visibly enthroned and they begin to exercise the word of God the way God intended even when they are in a world that is contrary to it. It's living the kingdom of God right now in my heart. It's living the kingdom of God together as one another as we go out and invite others to join this kingdom with the hope that our king is going to return and ultimately set up an earthly kingdom. It's about now as much as it is about then. When Jesus came to present the kingdom of God, I think he was presenting himself actually as Messiah who would bring about the kingdom of God if his people would have responded. Town after town after town, they didn't. You say, well, wait a minute. If they had responded... They wouldn't have destroyed him. Don't get yourself ahead of God. You ain't got to figure out how it would have worked out, how it should have, would have, could have. We see what it did. I think Jesus announced the kingdom of God is right here with you. I think if they'd have responded, then it would have been introduced in a different way. And I don't know what that way would look like. Would Jesus still have saved us from our I think he would have. I don't know how it would have worked out because we still needed a Savior, but I think it would have looked a little different. He wasn't offering something that wasn't really going to take place. It was a real offer. And Jesus says, I want you to go tell the folks. We've already gone through. I've been in all the towns that we've been to. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back through the towns like a herald, and I want you to communicate what we've been saying. The kingdom of God is here. And I think the the idea was when people said, what does that look like? Their responsibility was to say, it looks like Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker and the one who's given us the message and the authority to proclaim it. Come see and follow him. That was the message. 
The kingdom of God is here. Messiah is here. You can see him. You can touch him. You can watch what he does and hear what he says. And it's here. His name is Jesus. Come let us show you. We've got social media. We get emails. We get direct messages. We get text messages. We can, we can communicate through uh, Facebook and Instagram and all kinds of ways that we can do. Back then, they had no grams of any kind. They had no print media of any kind. And if you wanted a message sent out, you'd gather some representatives. You'd give them some authority, probably in a piece of paper with a seal on it. And then you would send them out to the countryside and they would go stand in the, in the city square and they would say, Hear ye, hear ye. And then they'd read their message. Whatever that message was. The king has declared. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they would hear that. And you know what the people would have to do? They would have to respond. Either ignore them or to, to do what they had announced. Well, that's what these guys were there for. And, and you need to understand. These guys were sent to places they've already been to see people they've already seen without Jesus. How are we going to do this? Jesus says, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you power. And I want you to go back. Where are they going to? They're going to all the cities in Galilee, I think. I think that's where you go. I don't think they're going south of Galilee. Jesus not made his way to Jerusalem yet. Not with them. And I think they're going right back to the place that they were, all that region in the north of Galilee. In fact, in Mark chapter number 6 and in Matthew chapter number 10, specifically, Matthew says that they're to go through all that towns. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Take the message back to my people and proclaim to them the kingdom of God. Mark 6 tells us that they went two by two. Six groups of two went out. I wonder if they fussed and fought about who, who I'm going with, you know. When Jesus says, all right, I'm going to send you out two by two. I wonder if one of them went I got Andrew. You know how the kids do in middle school, right? I got Peter. I don't, I, I don't want to go to Thomas. Thomas is a drag. Jesus, don't. Oh, I got to go with Thomas. Doggone it. Two by two, Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim at this time for the people of Israel only. And that's what they did. He said, before you go, I want you to do it a certain way. He said to them, here's how I want you to do it. Take nothing for your journey. Take no staff. Can you just back up a minute and go, Mark says to take a staff. You go, what's going on there? I don't know. Luke says don't take staff. Mark says take staff. Makes me wonder if he's saying don't take an extra staff. What did we use a staff for? We used a staff to, to help walk, you know, just something to lean on. But it was also a weapon if need be. The robbers come along. You could whip that staff around and, and, and you could go all medieval on them with the staff. I think, I think the point is Jesus is, is not trying to keep them from having the ability to walk upright as much as he's getting them to think like, look, you don't need to, you don't need to be packing. that fair? He says, don't take a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. And don't have two tunics. Tunic was the outfit that you wore under the cloak. It was the, the clothes that touched your skin. Jesus is saying, don't pack an extra pair of underwear. I mean, that's literally what he's saying. He's saying, I'm sending you on a journey. Don't worry about taking a carry-on. Don't, don't worry about your, you know, your essentials bag. You don't even have to go to the house. Just, 
go from here. He says, and wherever you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. What's going on there? Well, he's telling them to go expecting hospitality. And when they get there and they begin to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. You've heard him. You've seen him. And when someone comes out into the street corner going, hey, where are you guys staying tonight? Y'all got arrangements? They say, we don't. Jesus sent us without any arrangements. And in fact, we don't have any money. And they say, well, why don't you come stay with us? And they get back to the house and they discover that it's a one and a half bedroom with nine folks already living there. Jesus says, whoever invites you to stay, stay there. And don't wait for someone with eight bedrooms and a backyard pool to come to you and go, hey, y'all got enough room? Well, it is kind of tight. Well, come stay with us. Okay. We don't want this to be about you getting upgrades along the way. Look, whatever doors God opens, then go in that door. You, you think I'm trying to keep you from enjoying the good life? No. I'm trying to show the watchers that are expecting you to try to find the good life. I'm trying to show them that the message is way more important than your comfort. So whoever opens the door, stay there. Be content with your lodging. Don't seek hospitality upgrades. And wherever they do not receive you, You're going to proclaim this message and they're not going to want to hear it. They're not going to care who you say. And they're going to look at the things that you're doing and they're going to go, they've been magicians come through here for years doing parlor tricks. We don't want to have anything to do with this guy from Nazareth. We've heard from the synagogues and the traveling Pharisees what this guy's all about. We don't care about him. We certainly don't care about you. He says, whoever does not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet. Jesus says, you're going to be rejected. Being rejected for my name's sake is not something to set off your redneck tendencies to try to defend me. I don't need defending. The gospel doesn't need defending. The gospel is what it is. Truth is what it is. You just present the truth, and where you're rejected, just dust your feet off. You go, what's that all about? I found it interesting in my study this week. A fellow by the name of, uh, of Alfred Plummer was talking about the, the, the ancient practice of this dusting. It, it really wasn't being, it, he re- really wasn't telling them to knock their feet off. It wasn't about the stuff that was on their sandals. This was a phrase that was pretty common. And if you read Matthew chapter 10, you're going to find a way more detailed account of the instructions that Jesus gives them. It's very detailed about persecution they should expect and, and, and how they need to respond to this persecution when it comes and, and, and just be uh, understanding folks aren't going to receive you well. You just need to be prepared for that. And Matthew uses three phrases where Luke only uses two. Matthew use, uh, Luke uses dust the, uh, knock the dust off your feet. Matthew uses two more. When Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the wolves. And then Matthew uses another uh, phrase when he says in chapter 10 that I don't want you to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, Plummer says 
that you can find these three phrases in the Midrash, which is the, if, if my memory serves me correct, it is the, uh, the commentary of the rabbis on the Old Testament. Okay, it's, a, it's a, a book of how to understand the Old Testament. And they use those three phrases in the Midrash, and it's always talking about a Jew responding to a Gentile. See, the Gentiles hated the Jews, and the Jews, unfortunately, returned that hatred. God never told them to, but they did. And they would say, when we're traveling through a Gentile region, and we get to the end of that, you know, we come to that county line where it's no longer Gentile, then what we want to do is we want to knock the dust of those pagan people off of us, because we're finally through that, that pagan land. And they also said that they were to, that God was sending the Jews out into the Gentile world as sheep amongst wolves. And Jesus, and, and, and the Midrash also said that the Jews were to be as innocent as doves before God. But you better watch them Gentiles and you better be as shrewd as serpents. You say, what in the world did you tell us all that for? Because where was Jesus sending his 12 disciples? To his people. See, they expected to have to be rejected by the Gentiles. They expected persecution from the Gentiles. Jesus is like, no, no, no. What's ironic is you're going to have to be rejected by my own people. That was causing the disciples to go, well, wait a minute. If our own people reject you... Then, then what does that mean for them? And Jesus is saying, uh-huh. It ain't about what lineage you come from. It ain't about what your last name is and what your genealogy shows, how far back you can go to Abraham. It ain't about the nation you was born in. It's about faith in Messiah. And Jesus said, look, wherever they reject you, and they're going to just move on. I'm sure they're standing there going, are you serious? You're sending us out. What does it power even mean? I I don't feel powerful. I don't feel like I have authority. And you want us to go back and I got to go with him? And what are we, we're going to get rejected? Are you kidding? Just like, it's good. Obey. Verse six, and they departed and went through the villages preaching. What does it say? The gospel. The good news. This message about the kingdom, you know what it's always been? The gospel. You know what we're telling folks today? The gospel. The message of the kingdom. And they did it. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Don't you know they had stuff to talk about when they went back to the house they were staying in, in that cramped little closet going, how did we heal that guy today? We just said in Jesus' name, and they, they were cleansed. It was amazing, and they did what Jesus said. Because he called who he wanted. He gave what was his. He sent on purpose, and he said how he wanted it done. Look at verse 7 through, through 9 just briefly. How far did the message about Jesus reach? Now Herod the Tetrarch, the son of Herod that was ruling over the northern part of Palestine, heard about all that was happening. 
about what Jesus was doing, about what the disciples were doing, about the things that were being said and heralded throughout. Jesus was one guy with a crowd. Now there's six crowds, two at a time, and it goes all the way to the palace. He was perplexed because it had been said by son that John had been raised from the dead, John the Baptist. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. What is Luke saying? He's saying, word was getting out. And, and, and what did most folks think? They were thinking, we got to go check this man out. We're hearing some amazing things about what Jesus is doing as he's sending them out just right out of the nest. As, as, as he's giving them the keys and saying, go on and drive. You got my power. You got my authority. Now I want you to go proclaim my message. I see some lessons for the church in this. First lesson for us that we've got to remember is that these instructions were given to a specific group of individuals at a specific time. We, we got to make sure that we don't look at this and say, oh, so, so Jesus is giving us the power to heal and the power to raise the dead and power over demons. No, actually, we get something better than that. What do we as followers of Jesus get that those same disciples received on the 10th day or the 50th day after Passover when Jesus ascended? He, they, they, sent, they received what he sent was the Holy Spirit. We got something even better. We have his person of the Spirit. But don't look at that and say we have the authority to go out and heal. You, you don't. You don't have the authority to raise the dead. That, that's not what you've been given. These were specific to this time and these individuals and for a period of time. But I see the second lesson to the church is each of these individuals were way out of their skill set for being Jesus' representative. Like they were way out of their comfort zone. If you think about folks that you're going to send to represent the highest CEO in the nation, do you qualify like if you're going to represent one of the brightest, richest, most successful business people in all of the world, are you expecting an email today to be like his number one, her number one representative in their place? No, none of us are because we realize that's not my lane. I'm way out of that league, and so were they. And I think that's a lesson for us in the church to see Jesus calls folks that are, are incredibly unqualified. And then he qualifies them through what he gives them. Natural talents, number three, and knowledge or education are great. And I think we should be constantly uh, learning all we can about the Scripture and, and, and about theology. And those are great things, and they're helpful. But our power and authority come from Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. You sit there and you say, I can never represent Christ as we look toward the end where he calls all of his followers to go and make disciples. You go, I can't do that. They couldn't either. That's why he equips them with what is his, not relying upon 
what is yours and what is mine. We would run it in the ditch. We wouldn't even get it out of the county. He says, no, I'm going to fuel you. I'm going to empower you. And these guys had no talents and very little education. And yet word got all the way to the king at that time. Number four, being alone is often unavoidable. As a representative of Jesus, you'll find yourself alone at times. No way around it. We got to prepare for that and, and know that we're not ever alone. Why? Because the person of the Holy Spirit resides in those who are authentic followers of Jesus. But partnership and plurality is always wise. It's always, you know, why did Jesus send, why didn't he send them out? It could have covered much more space if he had just sent them out one at a time. Yeah, but half of them would have got discouraged and run back home. Half The other half would have gotten a fight with folks over what they were saying about Jesus and why they weren't listening. You know, three of the 12 probably wouldn't have even come back to where Jesus was because they were discouraged. They'd have went on home. So what did he do? He put them with a balance. Someone who could speak into their weakness and vice versa. And you know, that's what he does for us too. That's why, that's why the body of Christ is about us. It's not about a bunch of lone rangers. It's about the body gathered and it's about us going at it together. Number five, traveling light, trusting in God's provision is always the way of the mission of Christ. Doesn't mean he don't want you to have things. Doesn't mean he won't want you to work and provide for your family. But what it means is, is that the mission has always got to be way more important than the things you think you need for your life while on mission. We went to Colorado, my wife and uh, and I did. And it was just two of us. And, 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 one of the folks at the church helped me plan that thing for our anniversary. And, and they said to me, and they're probably watching right now. They said to me, look, here's how to save you a little money. Just take a couple of carry-ons. That should be enough. <laughs> for my, me and my wife, no way. Like we needed suitcases and just about pay the heck extra hundred dollars for the other things we need because we don't know how to go because we need all the stuff to do with when we're wherever else we are. Jesus is like, you ain't got time for that. <laughs> Here's what do. Don't even go home. Don't get your overnight bag. Just trust God to provide. What? What? How much of that do we do? How light are we right now in the travel? He said God to provide protection, provision, lodging, food. Number six, contentment is a key factor in being on Jesus' mission. Representatives of Jesus don't go about seeking upgrade opportunities. But boy, don't we, we look... Um, when it comes even to, to who we're going to pull the rope with as a church, we'll go, but what do you have to offer? And I said, what, what, what? But, but they, got the, they got the climbing wall for my kids. You know, my kids like to climb. I know. And that, maybe that's a great place, but that's not what we've been called to do, looking for upgrades everywhere. Always looking for a better opportunity. And then lastly, rejection is to be expected. And just moving on should never reflect pride, anger, or finality. Someone who may reject Jesus today might receive him tomorrow. So dusting your feet off is not about going, 
fine. I'm out of here. I'm done with you. It's about going, hey, it's all good. Hey, last thing I want to do is argue. Last thing I want to do is to offend and, and, and to make this where we can't communicate anymore. Just, hey, can, can we just, can we leave it at there? Can we, can we part as friends? Maybe, maybe pick up the conversation at somewhere, maybe when, when it's a more convenient time. Staying engaged, being ready, but certainly means be prepared to be rejected. As Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. So be prepared for it, but don't let that stop you because your call is to herald and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that is for us that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sin, was buried and rose victorious over death, hell, and Satan, and is desiring to redeem and restore and to give new destiny for today and tomorrow for all that will embrace him as Savior and Lord. But that also means embracing his mission, which is going to kick us out of the nest and into the arena proclaiming his kingdom. Make sense? Okay. Well, let's stand together. We'll pray. Missions 101. If you know Jesus as Savior, maybe you didn't know you were a missionary. Well, you are. You are a missionary. These are some glimpses of how Jesus calls his. And empowers and equips them to go and represent him. I hope that's you. And I hope when you leave here today, it'll be on mission. Going out to the place he's called us to represent him like he said. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the fact that, uh, that Jesus is king Even though we can't see his throne, we're not able to to interact with with what he's doing in your presence. We know that he is as much king as he ever will be. But we're excited about getting to see him in that role when that time comes. God, we're thankful that the kingdom is alive and that by faith in Jesus, we can be a part of it. We can be living as your subjects that's what you've called us to do in a hostile foreign place I think about the the folks in uh, in Afghanistan we want to lift them to you especially those of our own citizens that are that are still there trying to get out I think about the the difficulty for those that are that are hurting and scared Father I pray that you will give them peace that you would provide for their exit those that that need that. But God, as we think about as, as we think about them and as we're concerned about them, is, is that not the hostile arena that we are called in? The world hates us, wants us to shut up, but you've said stand up and proclaim with grace, with truth, with love, compassion expecting to be rejected pressing on anyway just like our king did on his way to the cross so God I pray that you'll help us today to see our role 
to see our place and give us the courage to stand in that place for the building of your kingdom, for the glory of your name. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.